0: Uh, Shall I hit the record button? Go for it, otherwise we'll be here all day.
1: Welcome to Podland. Podland is sponsored by Buzzsprout, the easiest way to host, promote and track your podcast there at buzzsprout.com. It's Thursday, February the 11th, 2021. I'm James Cridlin, the editor of Pod News here in Australia, and I'm not a cat. And I'm
0: Sam
2: Sethi, the editor of Talks Technology here in the UK at... I am a dog. And I'm Jamie Ung from Matchcast, and I'll be on later to talk about SoundCloud. And I'm
3: Jonas
4: leon and later I'll be talking about Spotify. And I'm Wayne Parker from Maps.fm, and later I'll be talking about location and maps. They
1: will. Podland is a weekly podcast where Sam and I delve deeper into the week's podcasting news, which I cover daily at podnews.net.
0: Please get involved with this podcast. Send us a voice message to questions at podland.news or you can tweet us at Podland News. Now, coming up in this week's stories, the first story that we wanted to talk about was music fair usage. James, you wrote a piece about music fair usage. What was that all about?
1: Yes, well, I wrote a piece a long time ago on how to use commercial music in podcasts. And the basic answer is no, don't. And some people say, fair use, fair use. And you say, no, it's far too complicated to basically say, yeah, fair use will probably be okay. So the easiest way for me to write a simple article about how to use commercial music was to say, no, don't use it. Literally, the people who wrote the book on fair use, literally, ended up saying, actually, it's not quite as simple as that. And so they have written, Patricia Afterheider and Peter Jazzy, have written a really good article on how fair use works in the US, what you can do with it and what you can't do with it. And they basically say, as long as you know what you're doing, as long as you know what the courts call fair use, then go ahead. And it's a really interesting article. It's well worth a read.
0: This has been a bugbear for many podcasters. think Justin Jackson over at Transistor FM has published five pieces of music for free as podcast intros that you can use. And he's listed a whole bunch of sites as well, where you can get fair use or free licensed music. So there are places you can go. But I've got one other problem, which you probably know very well, is I've done music podcasts in the past, and I've published them, let's say, to Facebook or, or snippets to Twitter. And certainly on Facebook, the copyright Gestapo for the music suddenly comes down and, and blocks the podcast or blocks the video. And that's even when I have a PRS license. So I'm legally, as a radio licensee, have a license from the UK to broadcast music. But that doesn't seem to work internationally.
1: And I think this is one of the difficulties is that actually there are a ton of robots out there. And there are a ton of things out there which are busy working out whether or not that is somebody's uh, music. And they don't know whether you've signed a contract, they don't know whether it's your actual music. There's a lot of stories about individual music composers who play their own music and then get chucked off YouTube because of copyright violation. I mean, that stuff is mental. And I think this is one of the difficulties with music licensing. Interestingly, I'm actually speaking at a conference for some music collection agencies in the next couple of weeks and they've asked me, could you please explain how podcasting works? Uh, which is going to be really interesting. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to that. I better not say too much more about that, but you know, so that, that should be an interesting time. But we've seen so many companies promising all kinds of different ways of licensing commercially available music and it's really not come to much. So it'd be wonderful if that was fixed. And in fact it is fixed on one thing. It's fixed on Spotify. Tom Webster, friend of the show, he's got his own music show or rather podcast with music. It's called Deep Six and it's on Spotify and it's very good. And there's another one from Brad Hill, which is all about cover versions and Brad Wright's Reign. So yeah, there are other ways of doing it, but it's only really things that work on Spotify, because again, they have the licenses to do that uh, sort of thing.
0: Yeah, it's it's the only way, I think. But it gives them that advantage. And I wonder whether other platforms will start to try and get a global license, because clearly... PRS and the equivalent in the USA are not going to talk to each other.
1: Yeah, and I think it'll be really interesting seeing uh, whether or not there is a more global view here and a global way to buy licenses. I think that there's quite a lot of podcasters who'd be very happy to spend a couple of hundred dollars on licensing a piece of music as long as they can actually legally use it. But that clearly isn't actually happening right now, apart from, of course, on Spotify. Now, talking about Spotify, I mentioned a new book the other week. It's called The Spotify Play. It's a history of Spotify. It's a great book to read. I spoke to one of the authors, Jonas Leonhuvud, and I asked him why Spotify is so interested in podcasts.
3: Spotify has succeeded in becoming the world's biggest uh, streaming service for music, but that's other people's content, and it's never going to be super profitable, most likely, I think that one reason is that they want to sell their own content and become a Netflix for podcasting, so to speak. Investors on Wall Street appreciate a business model like that. One reason is that they want to be able to produce and distribute their own content and make Spotify more profitable. The other reason they want to maintain their users. I think they've tried to develop video and television services that hasn't worked very well. And they've arrived at this strategy of trying to become the sort of the king of all audio. They want to own your ears, not just music, but also podcasting and eventually maybe audiobooks as well. They've started a little bit with that, dipping their toe in that business also.
1: Your book's really illuminating about the TV work that they've done. When did they start doing podcasting and another non-musical audio content?
3: Well, Spotify uh, launched its service in late 2008 in Europe and the next big challenge was entering the US market. And once they'd done that in 2011, then I, I think they started looking at all kinds of other alternatives and, and video and television was part of the plan to start out with. And so they invested heavily and that failed. And around the same time, I think they started looking into audiobooks and stuff like that a little bit. I think Daniel Eck likes to talk about something in Germany in 2012. I think in earnest, they probably started working on this maybe three or four years ago. And then, of course, they they moved in heavily in 2019, investing in companies such as Gimlet. And uh, now they've invested about a a billion dollars in this area. So it's the new big thing in the past two years.
1: Somebody was saying that uh, Spotify have invested more in the podcast industry than the podcast industry is worth. Do you think that's fair?
3: I'm not sure about those numbers, but is it uh, the the sort of the turnover, annual turnover of the podcasting industry is uh, comparable to to what they've been investing? Yeah, they're doing this to secure their own future. And and, uh, I think some of the price tags look pretty big, but I I, I think they need some exclusive content and they need to move in to this uh, area in a way that, that people will take notice. They're hoping that this field can grow substantially in terms of advertising revenue, and also other ways of people subscribing to podcasts. So,
1: How does uh, owning their own content help? Because I, I was reading the results recently about uh, they were saying, you know, that uh, no, the amount of podcast listening that we have won't change the amount of money that we're paying the record companies do you think that's a long-term view of theirs or do you think that inevitably the record companies are going to get less money out of them
3: i don't think that's a long-term view I, I think they want to keep their podcasting revenue and i think they want to keep their record labels happy a few years ago it looked like they they were going to be a sort of a self-publishing platform for music and i think they stepped away from that because the, the record labels didn't didn't like the way that sounded and, and now the, they're going to negotiate so that they can have and share the music revenues in the same way with the record industry and let them lead the way in terms of music and still just be a platform for that. They're going to want to make money on podcasting, on, on their podcast ads. and maybe special subscription services when it comes to podcasting, and definitely keep the money on the exclusive content that they produce. So more to come. And a lot of those dealings are fairly secretive, so I don't know exactly where they're at, but I'm sure that they're negotiating with the music industry.
1: Yeah, they're certainly a secretive company, aren't they? Yes. I wonder what kind of company you think Spotify is now. Is it still a Swedish company, or is it being driven very much by U.S. values these days?
3: The two Swedish founders are still in control of the company, and they still live in Sweden. And uh, Stockholm is still the headquarters, uh, but New York is a bigger office. So Stockholm and New York are the two uh, most important offices. And Daniel Ek spends a great deal of time in New York also. So it's still pretty much a Swedish company, but of course, most of the 6,000, 7,000 employees work outside of Sweden. At this point, and I think in terms of values, I think Netflix has been an important sort of inspiration for them through Barry McCarthy, who came in and was the the CFO for many years at uh, Spotify, uh, and even after his departure, I think Daniel has, in recent years, become a, a kind of a tougher boss, and uh, in the Netflix manner, viewing the the company as a team, not as a family. That is, he's demanding of his lieutenants, and, and if they don't perform, then they step aside, and he wants them to view their uh, role at the company in, in terms of two-year missions and so on, so that this is not a forever place. You're, you're here as long as you're the best performing player on the field, and then when you're not anymore, you're exchanged for somebody else, and, and that's the way a company should be run. So I think they've been inspired by Netflix in a lot of ways, in terms of business model and in terms of how to run a business.
1: Yes, I read that bit in in your book and I was there thinking, oh my goodness, that doesn't sound like a company that I want to work for. I, I, I don't know. That's definitely not a Swedish way, is it?
3: Who is to say these days? Uh, I think that in a lot of ways <laughs> okay. it's still a Swedish company when it comes to values like uh, parental leave and... It does want to provide a good life work balance, it does want to have generous ter- terms when it comes to parental leave and a lot of those things that are considered Swedish, but when when it comes to their top performing bosses, they want to behave like, an, like a big tech company mm-hmm. uh, and perform at that level and be able to shed skin and evolve and change rapidly. So rapid growth and rapid change. I I think it comes with the territory if you want to be a successful big tech company. I don't take a a very cynical view. I think it makes sense for them to step up in this way. And I'm sure that some people get squeezed. Uh, A company that's evolving and changing so quickly will make a lot of mistakes and will hurt a lot of feelings and force people away that could have stayed, but it's part of the way when you're developing quickly, I think.
1: Yeah. I heard somebody the other day saying that Spotify was very clever in that they had bought both the largest consumer podcast host in Anchor and the largest business consumer host in terms of megaphone. And I thought, yeah, i would not considered it that way around, but uh, yeah, absolutely, they've just gone out and bought the number one in those markets, which has been really interesting. Your book says that both Google and Microsoft were interested in buying Spotify, and I'm curious, where do you see Spotify in five or ten years' time? Will it still be independent, or will it have been subsumed by someone else?
3: When Daniel Ek gets up on on various tech stages in, in, in Stockholm and, and other parts of Europe, he always gives the advice, don't sell your company to a big American firm or a big Chinese company, keep on developing a company and be independent. And, and us Europeans, we, ha- we have to develop big tech companies also. And uh, and he said that he's going to invest a third of his wealth in uh, startups from Europe and so on. So he's patriotic in that sense. And I think he means it. I think he's proud that, that he's independent still. He doesn't talk about that he's negotiated with Google and, and Microsoft and a few other con- uh, companies, Tencent also. But he has. And I think that his reason for selling the company would be can I strengthen the company by merging it with somebody else? And I think that if they'd let him be in charge of a combined YouTube, Spotify, something over at Google, then he might have sold his company to Google but they didn't, and he didn't. He felt underappreciated, is what our sources tell us. And those negotiations in 2010 and again in 2013, I believe. So I don't think he's going to sell. But maybe he'll merge with a Netflix or a Disney or something, and he'll do it if he feels that he can keep on leading the, the company in, in a way that will be positive for its shareholders and for the users and so on. If he can strengthen consumer sort of offer and the product, then he might. But I think he'll be reluctant to.
1: Do you think he's uh, likely to be like Jeff Bezos and just get bored?
3: Doesn't look that way, but I I do think that he might do what Jeff Bezos does and step back and become uh, executive chairman or something like that because he sometimes is not super interested in the day-to-day and more interested in the sort of grand chessboard and the strategic long-term thinking. It's entirely possible. He's also interested in investing in other companies, particularly in the digital health sector. So sort of at some point handing over the day-to-day reins to somebody else, I wouldn't put that past him, but I think he wants to be in control. This is, I mean, he was so young when he started Spotify, 23 years old, and its he's very synonymous with the the company is what our sources tell us. And kind of sensitive to journalists covering his company and writing a book like this and so on, Mm. but also very involved in the the main sort of points of growing the company and and evolving the company. So I don't think he's going to hand it over and, and do something entirely different anytime soon. Uh, I expect he'll be involved in Spotify for a long time to come.
1: The book is called The Spotify Play. How CEO and founder Daniel Ek beat Apple, Google and Amazon in the race for audio dominance. Nice short snappy title. It's published by Diversion Books and it's out now in all good bookshops. Uh, Jonas, tack ska du ha. mycket, well, James. What do you think of my uh, Norwegian there, Sam? If we do this once a week, you'll be
0: bilingual eventually before you die.
1: As as long as the only thing I have to say is the word thank you.
0: Well, can I I tell a story? (laughs) Me and my friends wrote a book many years ago called How to Order a McDonald's in Foreign Languages. And the best one we had was Swahili, which was Mimi Nasea Wewe. And that was basically how to order a McDonald's Quarter Pounder in
1: Swahili. The easy way to order a McDonald's when you're overseas, point and you say, meal number four, please, because they're all numbered. They're all numbered, which is brilliant. You spotted another thing about Spotify, didn't you?
0: Yes, Spotify has been hosting anti-Semitic content, according to Joseph Cohen, writing in the Jewish Chronicle. Now, this is a topic that we've tangentially talked about, James, through several of the shows that we've done. And it's a, a little thing that I guess I want to know the answer. Who's policing the podcast? Now, famously this week, we've been seeing deplatforming of... I think one of the Kennedys was deplatformed last night from Instagram. We're seeing blocking on Twitter. We're seeing blocking in Clubhouse. So Mark Andreessen blocked a whole bunch of journalists. And then when he went on to Clubhouse, all those journalists were blocked from actually going into the room in Clubhouse because he had blocked them. So blocking, deplatforming is happening. But in podcasting, no one seems to be doing it. And how are we going to police it, or we're we just going to let the laissez-faire people do it and then they take people to court for defamation if they get found out
1: do you know what the uh, search results that has led the most amount of traffic to pod news last week was nope the war room because i wrote a story about the war room which of course has been deplatformed from loads of places and i wrote a story about that particular podcast which i think is interesting At the end of the day, neither you or I are American, to the best of my knowledge. And clearly, the Americans have a strong belief in their First Amendment. Their First Amendment doesn't actually stop any of this deplatforming from going on, of course. But I suspect that we are a little bit more relaxed about companies taking stuff that they don't agree with off their platform than uh, many people in the US. And certainly, you know, I was on the podcast Index podcast a few weeks ago with Adam Curry. And Adam very strongly believes that you should be able to say whatever you want on a podcast, whatever you want, no matter how incorrect it is, you should be able to say whatever you want. And there's conversations going on in the Podcast Index about all forms of sense-proof hosting for your audio and everything else. And I'm just there thinking, you know what, if there's racist material, if there's anti-vax material, if there's material which is harmful in some way, then I I think it should be pulled off, don't you?
0: I think the platforms, the social media platforms are finally beginning to take what they have as a platform and what's pushed out as content on their platforms and take some ownership of it. Whether they were forced by government to remove the anti-vaxxer posts or they were forced by government to do what they're having to do in fear of Section 230 reforms that Trump started, but may still go ahead under Biden. Oh, by the way, it's the 25th anniversary of Section 230, so it may need a little bit of an amendment. But other than that, clearly now the conversation's moved to podcasting and podcasting is... Basically, it's not being monitored. And that's the same in Clubhouse. We have seen reports of rooms where uh, racist communications, sexist communications. So I'm just thinking audio generally isn't being policed. And should it be? Because there are fear would be that China is the other end of the scale. China just banned Clubhouse. So uh, is it a free speech platform podcasting, James? Or is it just something that we haven't caught up with? And maybe we just need to say podcast hosts have to start to look at what they allow on their platforms.
1: Yeah, And I think certainly post-moderation, which is where someone says, are you sure you really want that on your platform? And the podcast host goes, oh, no, we don't want that on our platform and kick people off. I think that's absolutely the right thing to do. And that's fine under Section 230 right now. The whole idea of post-moderation, and it works in the UK uh, law as well. I think where you're expecting... A audio platform to listen to every podcast before it gets published, then that's a very different kettle of fish. And I don't think that we should be going anywhere near that. But uh, certainly, if a podcast is racist and unpleasant, and a podcast host is told it is, then a podcast host should, at the very least, have a listen to it and make a decision as to whether or not they want to pull it down. I've reported, as I think I've said here before, a very racist podcast to a major podcast host, and they've just turned around and said, oh, and I don't think that that's the right thing to do.
0: It's not the right thing to do, but let's see if anyone takes someone to court. Maybe that's the only way that uh, people then start to take it more seriously.
1: Now, let's talk about toys In particular, toy phones. As you know, I have an Android phone. It's a very good phone. It does all kinds of things. It's very good. You, though, I believe, Sam, you have a toy phone. Uh, that's right, isn't it? I do, yes. Yeah. Has it got a picture of fruit on it? Yes, the Tim Cook special. I have a, I have an
0: iPhone <laughs> 11 Plus Max because I just think size matters. and But that means I can also play with the new iOS 14.5 beta, which I will load later today. It says that Apple has finally added the ability to set a default music streaming service, which means that I can ask Siri to use Spotify and say something like, hey, Siri play the lazy song on Spotify, and it will do it.
1: Yes, very cool. And from what I read, there is also a default podcast streaming service on the system as well. So again, you can actually set Spotify as your preferred podcast app if you are that way inclined. Interesting seeing that Apple is again catching up to what Android and indeed uh, the Alexa has had for uh, quite some time now.
0: Yeah, I've got to the point of view where Apple will never be the first out the door. They are the tortoise to the hare, really. They're just going to see what the market's doing and then build a feature in. And for the majority of people out there who aren't tech-savvy it'll feel like it's at the bleeding edge enough for them. So yes, on my Alexa, I could say Alexa play Podland News and it will use my default player and that player could be Spotify. And I've done that for some time now. But yeah... If you want to now on your iPhone, that'll be great. I think it's mainly for Apple to catch up in the HomePod market with Google Home and Amazon Alexa doing this.
1: Now, I did notice as well, I was looking at my Pod News' podcast stats for yesterday, and I discovered that the most popular podcast app yesterday wasn't Apple Podcasts, which it normally was. It's Siri because I'm available on the Apple Siri news briefing service. So if you say Siri, play the latest news from Pod News Podcasting News, then my dulcet tones will appear. And I thought, wow, that is really high. Google News is also really high, but I've never seen Siri being number one. So who knows? Maybe people are using Siri a little bit more to ask for podcasts these days.
0: Now, a new tag went live called Location a few weeks ago, which is all about where a podcast is about. But it's not a new thing, is it, James?
1: No, there's been a thing called Maps FM for a while, maps.fm. It's a website and it's really cool. It's a clever way to discover podcasts. I'm not just saying that because I'm an advisor to the company. It's really cool anyway. So I spoke to the CEO of the company, Wayne Parker, and I started by asking him what Maps FM actually is.
4: Maps FM is the combination of podcasting and mapping, and we think it creates a great new form of discovery. A lot of podcasts of the 90 million episodes out there, a significant number of them are connected to a place, and that means we can put them on a map, and if we put them on a map, we enter both a local element, and we enter a time machine, and we add to that podcast episode all of the power of a map. And let me start by saying first that a listener has a new form of discovery. And we know how podcasts are typically discovered now for the variety of means. But on a map, that means that if you're in a city, your own city or a place where you're visiting, you can look at the pins on the map and say, what's that? And then when you click on the pin, you might see that it's opened the door to a podcast about a place, about a story, about any number of things.
1: So give me an example. Maybe I'm I'm on holiday in
4: San Francisco, shall we say, or the Bay Area. What sort of thing will I find? So as you would look around in the Bay Area, you would see a pin at the Golden Gate Bridge. And if you didn't know the history of that sort of remarkable structure, you could listen to a podcast about that. Or if you looked at the north end of the Bay, you would see a pin And if you clicked on it, you would say, what is San Quentin? San Quentin's a prison. And that would lead you to the podcast Ear Hustle, which is produced by the inmates. And in that form, you could dive into something that you might not have known existed, or even if you had heard of San Quentin prison, you might not have known where it was. And now you've got a different connection to it. You might look at pins down in Silicon Valley and click on one and, oh, there's a computer history museum and hear a podcast episode where the director of the museum talks about his relationship with Steve Jobs and what would Steve Jobs think about the privacy issues today. And it's really surprising, his answers to that. So that's some of the things, and it would vary everything from those things I mentioned, to a history of surfing over on the coast, to the change in color in the salt beds at the south end of the bay.
1: Now, none of this information is in the RSS feed as yet. So how do you get the information on what place a podcast is about?
4: So we are geocoding those, meaning we find the latitude and the longitude in order to connect those. So at Maps FM, we are building and refining the engine that will do that for podcasters. Now, you have, having said that, you've done this really wonderful thing. You and others have created this location tag, which means going forward for where it's supported that the podcasters will be able to add their own location. We're trying to bridge to that period of time, which actually could be, we think, a fairly long period of time before everyone's on board. And also then add a human curation to that because maps have limited real estate So if you looked at that map of the San Francisco Bay Area that you mentioned, and you put hundreds of thousands of pins there, you you lose the advantage of the discovery. So we're doing two things, is we're geocoding each of those episodes, and then we're adding a human curation to them.
1: That's interesting. And if I'm a podcast app, for example, or I don't know, maybe I'm Tesla or somebody, can I use the Maps FM data to offer my users something uh, special inside the app?
4: Uh, You can, yes. Then that's part of um, our model is the Maps FM data is free to listeners and it's free to podcasters. And then we will have APIs available for custom uses of the data, as you said, for an automotive company or someone who wants a map worldwide of all the true crime locations, you know, that kind of thing.
1: And if I run a podcast about a specific place or specific places, maybe I do a travel um, podcast, maybe I do a podcast about breweries around the world, which would be a very fine thing, I should do that. Then how can I get into Maps FM?
4: Just contact us at parker at maps.fm. That's me, Wayne Parker, parker at maps.fm. And we'd love to talk to you. We are always looking for partners and other people to help us move this forward.
1: Where do you see the future of podcasts Discovery going? Is it going to be more based around things and places? And is location going to be more important as we go forward?
4: I think it certainly will be a great new form of discovery. There are lots of po- podcasts that just don't fit this model. Certainly, a political podcast that has no connection to a particular place doesn't. But then, if you've got 19 categories and you think about location being Five or six or seven percent of that—it's like a whole of the total. It's like a whole new category. So, I think of it that way. As you have all of these main categories now, and then we're going to add to this whether it's done explicitly that way is is a whole new maps category. So, you asked me the question. Let me ask that to you of where do you see this going?
1: I suspect that it's, I think that location is really interesting. I think in certain places, you know, wouldn't it be great if you were driving on a long distance uh, drive across uh, the US or across Europe, and you could, for the next half hour, hear a podcast, which is all about the place where you are driving to so that you actually get there and you are educated, you understand about this place and you get much more value out of visiting that particular place. I think there's a bunch of really interesting things that you could do with that. And I also think it's yet another... Uh, tool that we can use to help people find more podcasts. what with the being I think Spotify say 2.2 million podcasts out there I think Apple podcasts it's a little bit less but not much. That's a lot of podcasts and so anything more that we know about a podcast should certainly help people find a great sh- find a great show.
4: Yeah uh, and along the way on that trip to to see the pins click on the pins as you go. Because And I've done that and discovered and driven past a place and clicked on the pen and heard the audio episode to tell me that the lake drains automatically, but they don't know where the water goes. <laughs> do you know, just surprises like yeah. that that you find as you travel.
1: Yeah, no, I think it's a great thing. And I think the more of that than we can uh, do. And of course, you know, really helpful on not just in your car, but really helpful in things like airplanes as well. So that you could actually program the in-flight entertainment If I'm flying to L.A., for example, then I could actually learn more about L.A. and the parts around L.A. that I want to have a listen to. So I think there's a great opportunity for loads of things to come here. So, yeah, I'm really excited about what Maps FM might be able to accomplish in this.
4: Thank you very much, We're And as people go to Maps.fm, they will see we're still in a little bit of a demo mode, but we're coming out of that soon and look forward to hearing from people and getting their feedback.
1: Thank you for your time. I appreciate it.
4: I'm honoured to talk with you. Thank you, James. So, James, listening to that, it
0: sounds exciting that you can do that, but is this just an interim before the location tag is adopted by podcasting hosts?
1: Um, I think to an extent it might be, but I think what Maps FM has been doing is they've been doing a lot of human curation as well. And so I think, yes, anyone can put a location for their podcast now in their RSS feed, if they're on a supported host and Buzzsprout now supports that as well, who are our sponsors, that information isn't necessarily always going to be correct or always going to be. And so I think it's nice that Maps FM are a little bit more human in terms of how they curate all of this kind of uh, stuff. So they should hopefully stop things like spamming and all that sort of thing.
0: So a story that caught my eye, James, is something that you wrote about, which was Fireside. Now, this is Mark Cuban's new app where hosts can talk to fans live and monetize their conversations. Have you heard of another app like that? Possibly.
1: <laughs> Sounds vaguely similar. Sounds... I don't know. Clubhouse? Maybe that sounds vaguely similar to that. Clubhouse? What's this Clubhouse you talk about? <laughs> and what Clubhouse has basically been saying with their new funding is that they will be testing things like tipping, ticketing and subscription And so that, of course, makes perfect sense. So Mark Cuban clearly wants to be in on the game. He's shown how intelligent he is because he's launching a podcast app or what he calls a podcast app, which has the complete zeitgeist of what's going on in the world at the moment with Clubhouse. And he's also shown how dim he is by not actually doing a quick search for the word fireside and the word podcast because there's a really good podcast hosting company run by Dan Benjamin, called Fireside. He is, of course, not particularly happy about this. So, hopefully, Mark Cuban will be a good boy and change the name of his product away from a product that already exists in this space. But anyway, it looks interesting. What's your take on it?
0: I think, first of all, if they're going to change the name of Fireside, they better change the logo as well, which is pretty crap. Christmas Cena gave it an absolute thumbs down. Yes. I think... The problem with all of this, and it feels like Mark Cuban, I have a lot of money. This might be a big platform space to get into. Now, he's got a great co-founder in Fallon Fatimi who sold at her last company for a lot of money. They might produce something, but will people migrate to it? I doubt it. And I think Clubhouse probably, as you said, are announcing ticketing and subscriptions. They'll probably roll that out. I think Clubhouse is now over 30 million people on it. Uh, Fireside hasn't even launched. I think it'll be a massive leap for people to abandon Clubhouse to go there. They might abandon Clubhouse for Twitter Spaces, but I doubt they're going to abandon it for Fireside or the future name of Fireside. And of course, Mark Zuckerberg couldn't keep out of the news, could he? So... I think you probably saw he jumped on Clubhouse this week to have a little conversation, which set the Twitterati and all of the Silicon Valley lovies into a spin mm-hmm. about Mark Zuckerberg's going to buy it instantly for $16 billion. So this was the conversation that was going on. But of course, last night, Mark Zuckerberg or somebody said in the New York Times that Facebook is going to have their own version of Clubhouse as well, just because he can't think of new ideas. So if you can't beat them, join them.
1: And on the other side, I would say that lots of people have been calling this podcast apps because they're something to do with audio. And so therefore audio means podcasts, but they really aren't. What Fireside, Mark Cuban's Fireside, and what Clubhouse and what some of these other ones are, is that they are new apps which are going to significantly harm the conference market. That's what they really are. And if I could pay $3 to listen to Mark Zuckerberg talk and see if he's actually a human being and not a robot, then that would be $3 that I would spend. I probably wouldn't spend $300 and an airline ticket and a hotel stay so that I could watch him even smaller than he would be on my mobile phone on some large stage somewhere. So, I look at things like Clubhouse and I think, actually, I would be more concerned if I was a conference organiser than a podcaster.
0: Yeah, and Sound Club was launched this week in Taiwan. And the reason why I mention it, because we are going to talk to Jamie Ung, who's going to tell us a little bit more about it. But what they've done is they've put celebrities and TV personalities on stage within SoundClub, and they are actually charging for those people. So, exactly what you said, they're saying we don't see this as a podcast killer, although it is part of a podcast app called SoundOn. They see it as a means to create virtual conferencing and charge through monetization. So we decided to talk to a friend of ours called Jamie Ung. She's the CEO of Matchcast to tell us more about SoundOn and SoundClub.
2: So SoundOn, which was acquired about two weeks ago, literally 10 days uh, ago, is one of uh, Taiwan's podcast hosting platforms. And what happened was just recently, just literally yesterday, they've launched a sound club, which is the equivalent of Clubhouse in Taiwan. Now, interestingly, it's a little bit of a different premise as compared to Clubhouse because Clubhouse is deemed to be an audio social platform, whereas sound club is mixed in with the sound on hosting platform, the the hosting podcast player. So it has a very different premise, but I think it's interesting given the fact that they were not shy about going out and saying, look, this is Taiwan's version of Clubhouse and it's meant to be Clubhouse for Asia. And language obviously is this big differentiator. It's going to be obviously Chinese first, then followed by potentially other languages.
0: So what features have they added? Recording, monetization were two of the features I read. They've added an Android client as well, because that's a big bugbear of many Clubhouse users.
2: Correct. So I think if you look at the way that they have done SoundClub, is that it's built into the actual podcast player. So it's a very different, I would say, UX experience is compared to Clubhouse. So what happens if if you're just launching the SoundOn player, and want to listen to podcasts, it works that way without asking you for any credential. But the moment you want to launch the Sound Club, which is has a prominent sort of middle button within the app itself, it would ask for your Taiwanese number. So you will actually have to have a Taiwan mobile number in order to register. So it's not open for China yet, but I, I would think that aspirationally, that's where they want to go especially with the Chinese language. And so right now, it's actually almost impossible to test the feature without a Taiwan mobile phone. And it's gotten a bit of a heat from everyone else because when it launched, it says it's meant for the world in terms of all the Chinese speaking audience. And then everyone in Singapore, obviously Malaysia or anywhere else outside of Taiwan could not get onto the platform. And I think given the fact that it is embedded within a podcast player, give it a different premise as opposed to something like Clubhouse, which is dreamed up from scratch without integrating with any podcast. What I think SoundClub is looking to do is very much looking at a very different version of Clubhouse and potentially having creator conversation, which is possible. So they were not a bash about saying that, look, we want a platform where hosts and creator could converse with their fans and ordinary people who is listening to their content. So it's definitely, I think monetization for podcasts is there. It's actually thinking in terms of what I thought clubhouse could go, which is hybrid event. So being able to buy, say, tickets to an event on the uh, sound club, and then imagine talking to your favorite celebrity, talking to your favorite host. And I think it's going to be backed by the fact that M17 Live in Taiwan is actually an entertainment platform. So therefore it has that credential to be able to pull in some celebrity big names onto the platform itself.
0: I think that is a very logical way of going forward. Clubhouse's heritage was the founders actually had a podcasting app before called Talk Show, And... Various members in the town halls that they've held in Clubhouse, they've stated very clearly they're going to be adding recording capabilities back and monetization. So I think there's going to be this real merger of many platforms Soundclub, Clubhouse. And also, I don't know if you've heard Mark Cubans launching a platform mm-hmm. called Fireside as well. So we're beginning to see everyone realizing this real time immediacy of starting a, a platform and, and being able to talk to your fans and have an interaction the sensation will be very good to see when it starts and i think obviously given the far east's propensity to pay for stuff himalaya is already doing that i think it'll be great to see whether the sound club gets that first and what the take up is what's your feeling
2: yeah, I think it would be interesting. So obviously I think we've been looking at Clubhouse for a bit and, and, and share some of my feedback on LinkedIn. I think the challenge with Clubhouse, it is still predominantly US driven kind of a social media app platform. So when it comes to language and all the other sort of uh, surfacing content that is based on language or country is not really there. But interestingly, just this week, I think just maybe two days ago, Clubhouse has a new feature update. And when I log back in, I start seeing a lot of Chinese rooms, Japanese, sort of Korean language based room. So I think they might be doing some geo-targeting that's already happening within the app. Second thing, let's not be shy of the fact that SoundClub is a copycat version of Clubhouse for Asia. Interestingly, it's going to dominate what it thinks is going to be Chinese market where predominantly you're going to have Chinese app user who actually wants to go in and just basically talk to celebrity or content creators in Chinese and, and in Mandarin. So that's where it's going. And whether it can actually permeate into you know different markets like perhaps Indonesia, which speaks Bahasa Indonesia, I think that's time has to tell. And then t- the third thing, I think, to be honest, I think everyone that is fussing over Clubhouse, the replicas of Clubhouse, are actually tech people or podcasters like us. They're not your mass media people. They're not your regular folks on the streets that are knowledgeable about Clubhouse. So I think in order for it to peak and become a mass-adopted social media or a player or a, a, a platform that everyone uses, it has to get past the threshold of things that single one platform for everybody. So where I think SoundClub is... It's intent is to be the first in the market and then see where that leads. And obviously it has the advantage because it has an app on Android. And so I think it tends to, you know, leverage on that. And with the fact that China has banned Clubhouse potentially, if it opens up that registration to Chinese and as well as Hong Kong people, then it could pull in that crowd into its own version of Clubhouse for Asia, which it thinks that's what SoundClub is going to be.
0: You mentioned it there. China just banned Clubhouse. Is that because I think what I read was people were free to talk about issues because it wasn't being monitored by the the Chinese government. So the converse of that is, is SoundClub going to be monitored as a platform by the Chinese government? Therefore, will people want to go on there and talk freely? How will that restrict it?
2: Yeah, interesting question. What the Chinese government obviously is fearful of is, you know, political considerations, complaints, or other type of conversations around things that it deemed not ideal. But where Club is, it's actually looking at from an entertainment perspective. So you're not going to have a lot of political conversations. You're not going to have a lot of social conversations where I think it could ring fence it without real need for moderation. And obviously, you mentioned about Mark Cuban. I read a little bit about it. It seems that it's putting moderation up in front center, creating that curated program. Again, I think not everyone is agreeable to having moderation on platforms, social media platforms. So it, it really depends on whether Chinese is going to say, okay, I'm just going to go into club to find my tribe and talk conversations that are not sensitive. Or do I see myself wanting to go to Clubhouse and have that sort of unfiltered conversation with people from around the world? I think that's the unique part of the difference.
0: Yeah, I think Clubhouse has got a big issue with not moderating. It's that fine line between censorship and moderation and privacy and the right to free speech and they're going to have to tread carefully because i have heard already that there's reports of rooms with you know far-right extremists paedophiles people talking about sexist conversations and i reached out to clubhouse and asked them are they recording these rooms And it seems that in the T's and C's, they're not recording the rooms. So they have no way of moderating these rooms. So you could put up a nice, we're just going to talk about flowers in this room and then talk about anything you want in the room. And I think it will only take one example of where somebody records, because you can record clubhouse rooms and it's defamatory or it's racist or sexist. And I think they'll have a big problem. But we will see. I'm sure Clubhouse, now they're worth a unicorn $1 billion, have enough money to fix these problems. Jamie, thank you so much. Thank you for telling us all
1: about SoundClub.
2: Awesome. Thanks, Sam.
1: Jamie Ung on SoundClub. Very clever of them to launch SoundClub on the day that Clubhouse was banned in China. That's a very clever plan. I was listening to a Clubhouse room the other day and what somebody was saying on there is they were actually pointing to the company whose technology Clubhouse uses. And essentially, it's just an API that anyone can use and anybody can gain access to. Clubhouse are paying handsomely for the use of it, but it it seems that actually creating a Clubhouse is really easy and really simple. And the thing that's holding Clubhouse back isn't necessarily their own technology, because frankly, they're don't have very much of it it's the technology in this third-party api that they're using but also that clearly shows how easy it is for anybody else to make another clubhouse because they can just use the same open set of apis that have been used to produce that so interesting stuff
0: what was interesting was sound on t- basically was only bought a couple of weeks ago and they flipped the whole product And within 10 days, they'd had an Android client, monetization, subscriptions. And that's everything that everyone on Clubhouse has been waiting for.
1: Yes. Yes. There you go. People can code very quickly if they're they're given a good reason. A billion dollars, maybe. Now, James,
0: you've been busy over the weekend writing on your other platform, on Medium. You were talking about how to get a Billion new listeners. Now, that sounds exciting. How do you get a billion new listeners, James?
1: Yes, I was writing this on my personal blog, which I put on Medium for a number of random reasons. But one of the things that I was thinking about, and actually it was after we were talking a couple of uh, weeks ago to Melissa from a podcast festival uh, in Africa. She was talking about the expense of data costs. And I actually went to work out how much it would cost you if you were to download This American Life in South Africa. So if you look at the money that you would pay in data costs based on the average wage in South Africa, downloading one episode of This American Life would cost $3.52 in data charges. Downloading one episode of this podcast, because we're a little bit higher quality in terms of audio bandwidth, not in terms of content, would cost you even more. I was looking at that and thinking, there's probably an issue here. Podcast Index is working on a new tag called alternate enclosure. And what that essentially allows you to do is it allows you to add alternate enclosures, alternate pieces of audio or indeed video that your podcast app could automatically switch to or offer for you to uh, switch to. So if I'm on some very expensive South African uh, data, then maybe it could offer a lower bitrate uh, version of the same show so that it costs me less to download and listen.
0: Is new. Video platforms have had various versions of video options so we whether you want to watch at 360, 480, 720 or higher. Mm. I don't get it. What, what, why can't we, or why haven't we done this in podcasting sooner?
1: The, the reason why is that some people did do it. So Stitcher ended up doing this uh, quite some time ago. And I think Stitcher re-encoded everything to 48k or even 32k so that it worked in cars. Because back then, most mobile phones were 3G mobile phones and cars and mobile phones didn't really go together very well. And... And podcast people got really upset because they really cared about the audio quality and they really cared about getting the accurate stats and everything else. And so they said, no, Stitcher, stop doing that. And Stitcher ended up stopping doing that. I just wonder whether that's a very Western view and a view where I noticed that yesterday Virgin Media in Ireland basically said, everybody now gets unlimited mobile data we're not charging for mobile data anymore. And that's going on in Ireland. It's going on for T-Mobile customers in the US uh, and various other things as well. I just wonder whether that is a very Western view. And there are lots of people in the developing world who pay an incredible amount for their data charges once you incorporate their average monthly wages into this. Why podcast hosts don't offer a low bitrate version of their podcasts, I really don't know, as an alternative. So I'm not saying this podcast is in 192 kilobits stereo, and I'm not saying that we should be going out as a 32K, you know, mono MP3, but what I am saying is that perhaps there should be an alternative for people like that to choose if they want to. And that's what the alternate enclosure is all about. You wrote about a
0: company who's even gone further below the line of 32K.
1: Yeah, so this is a piece of technology um, called Opus. Uh, It's not new, actually. It's been going for quite some time. I think that one of the two major mobile phone operating systems deals with it, and I think, unfortunately, it's Android. Opus will go all the way down to 6K, which is an incredibly small amount of data. And it sounds quite astonishing. So uh, here's a little clip.
2: Hi, you're listening to Bitsip, and we're here today with Rin. Hi.
1: So, I mean, that's not fantastic quality, but it's only 6K, and it's still perfectly listenable to. It sounds like an AM radio. It did
0: sound a bit like the first transmission of Sputnik, but anyway, but it was... Yeah, the music did at the beginning. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I'll give you that. I'll give you that.
0: Whereas at the other end of the spectrum, James, there's a... Q-Code recording in Dolby Atmos. What's that one about?
1: Yeah, so Q-Code is a big podcast company based out in Los Angeles. And Steve Wilson, who used to work at Apple Podcasts, is now working there as well, which is why all of their press releases only mention Apple Podcasts and nobody else. But anyway, they are apparently recording all of their podcasts in a format called Dolby Atmos, which is surround sound. No podcast app yet supports it. So probably a bet on the future there. But uh, it does show that there's some sort of clever thinking going on about audio quality. Um, iHeart Radio has also just announced what they're calling iHeart 3D Sound. But uh, the rest of us are calling just binaural audio, which is which has existed for many years, but actually can sound really good for drama podcasts and uh, stuff like that. So lots of thinking about audio quality, lots of thinking about new formats and new ways of listening. And I think this new alternate enclosure tag should certainly help with that.
0: All I can think of is recording a pantomime podcast and shouting it's behind you.
1: <laughs> well, that's what uh, surround sound is, I'm sure, best at. I have to say, I don't quite understand I remember lots of surround sound demos when I was at the BBC and surround sound was supposed to be the next big thing but the surround sound demos were always you know you'd walk into a room and there'd be 30 speakers in the room and you'd walk around and you'd think oh that's very nice you can hear the you can hear the elephant from over there and the cheetah from over there but I can't kind of see how it works with headphones. Maybe I should read up a little bit more. If you know whether surround sound works with headphones, then please uh, send us a comment to questions at podland.news. We'll get another voicemail, uh, Sam, if we try hard enough. (laughs) We try. Now...
0: That's it for this week, I'm afraid. So, James, what's coming up for you in Podland this month?
1: Well, I'll be moderating a session about the pandemic and speaking about the future of radio at the Radio Festival in India on World Radio Day, which is on Saturday. Happy World Radio Day, Sam, for Saturday. Thank
0: you. I will be under a table plugging in my radio station. So, yes, I'll be thinking about (laughs) Radio Day how
1: lovely and that's it for this week if you've enjoyed your trip to podland come back again anytime you can subscribe on all the major podcast players or visit our website at www. We must get that a hey, record sorted out podland.news
0: and if you enjoyed this episode thank you and please tell your friends by sharing us on your socials we'd love to have your comments as james said earlier from anyone on the show and send a voice comment to questions at podland.news or send a tweet to podland
1: news if you want daily news you should subscribe to the daily pod news newsletter it's free at podnews.net or just ask siri or a smart speaker near you uh, to play the latest news from pod news podcasting news that's where you'll also find the links for all the stories we've mentioned this week on the website obviously not on the Smart speaker. Uh, music is from Ignite Jingles. We used Squadcast and Zoom for our interviews this week, so if you can spot which. It was edited by me on Hindenburg Journalist Pro, and we're hosted and
4: sponsored by Buzzsprout. We'll see you in Podland next week. Keep listening.